Thanks for tuning in to the pilot episode of the Seattle Limudcast. I'm Tamara Libicki. In today's podcast, I talk with Limud Seattle presenter Karen Trieger. She quit her law practice and devoted three years to writing a book about her in-laws. The book is called My Soul is Filled with Joy, a Holocaust Story. If my dad was here or if he could like talk to me from the grave, he would say, this is something you want to do? Don't wait because then you'll be dead. Just do it. And so I did. So what are you looking forward to this year with presenting at Lee Moon? I'm really looking forward to sharing with the Limud community, like, the ideas behind the book. Because it's not a book event, and I don't want to make it into a book event. It's a Limud experience. And I'm trying already to think about ways to make it more interactive, because that's a much better session at Limud than just me lecturing to people. So um, I'm trying to think about how to show people Again, this idea that we can all look into our own family backgrounds or somebody else's family background. I mean, this is my family only by marriage, which I'm very happy to be in the family, but it's not my bloodline, which most people go after their their blood relatives, but that anybody can do that. And when you do that or when you start to look into something, the story morphs into something that you never would have imagined. Mm. And that that's really what happened to me. I never, three years ago when I started this, I would never in a million years have dreamed that this is the book that I would come up with because of what happened along the way. Part one, yes. Most of part one is Sam, is all part one is Sam and Esther's story. And I knew that I could fill in the missing holes through research, through interviews, through genealogic research. You know, I, I could do that, which I did. But the second half, which is what happened to me, never would have dreamed three quarters of what happened could possibly have happened. So that's something that I think is a message. So like in the telling of the story, what I want to convey to people is do this. If you, if you think, if you've ever, a lot of people have thought about it. Oh, wouldn't that be, I have this old interview or some old letters or something from my great grandfather. And I've always wanted to look into it and I've never done it. You can do it. I mean, you, I, I suppose like I'm a harsh example because I actually left my law practice and left my job to do this. But I don't think you have to do it that way. I did it that way because I knew I wanted to write a book. But if you're just interested, it, it, it can be something that you do on the side. It doesn't require three years of full-time work to do that. And so that's part. I want to empower people to look into their background and to look into their – because as you look into your background, you will look into yourself. And you will learn new things about yourself, which is really deeply what happened to me. Yeah, so it seems like you're saying – not only are you telling a story, but you're actually having a very rich experience. In the, in the, in the book, you, you mean, or, or what I want to convey to the Limud participants? Yeah, what you want to convey. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, you know, at, at a certain point, we'll open it up uh, for a conversation about other people's families. Because um, me talking to people for 75 minutes is not going to be a good plan. Um, and that would be like, I think I'll tell some of the story because you need a little bit of the background to sort of to enter and to start the conversation, um, but not too much. And um, so then I want to have that conversation. I'm also hoping 
we'll see what happens. I'm hoping to have to be able to teach the song that Shlomo, the song of um, that we sang, the song we sang a song of thanks to the three surviving children of the Christian families that helped my in-laws when they were hiding. When we went to visit, Shlomo thought about how can I possibly thank these people without whom and their families I wouldn't be alive. Like my parents would never have made it. And um, he decided to compose music to some words of, of Psalms, one of the Psalm chapters, of, chapter 30 of Psalms. The first verse is the verse that's on his tombstone in, in Israel where he's buried, Sam. And it has to do with thanking God for bringing you up from the pit and, and saving you from, from, like, from, from hell. And you couldn't get a better description than what happened to Sam. But, um, but then Shlomo looked at the verses right after that in the psalm, um, which actually is in the shacharit service. That If you do the whole shacharit service every day, you read it every day. And so he knew the verses. And he's like, right after that, it talks about singing the praises of, the, of righteous ones. Now, it could be interpreted as, 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 as looking at God or could be the righteous ones who serve God or it could be just righteous ones. And so Shlomo thought that these are righteous people and that it tied it in for him in his mind. So he composed some music. And so like at my book launch, I had Shlomo and three other men came. And as a part of my presentation, it was a live musical performance singing the song. And so one of the things that I would like to do is try to get Shlomo and maybe one or two other people to come over to my session and sing the song and but teach the song and we could all learn it it's not it's not long or, or hard and um because when I was in I was in Fort Lee New Jersey gave a presentation at the young Israel of Fort Lee New Jersey and part of that presentation was playing the music I didn't do a video clip I did just the music the one with the with the harmonies and it, it sings it they sing it three times through one straight melody and then a harmony and then a, a new, a more complex harmony. And it's beautiful. By the third round, everybody was singing. And I was like, cool. That's cool. Okay, well, why don't we use that opportunity to play that song? Sure. Oh, <laughs> 
beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, it is. It's great. One thing that struck me hearing that song is the last lines, um, in the night I will lie down with crying and in the morning I'll arise with joy. And to me that's the title of your book almost. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how many things work together. Yeah. I did not tell Shlomo what to do. This is his whole thing. He did it himself. It was his idea. He did it. I didn't pick those words. He totally did it. And he did that even before I came up with this title. And I didn't even think about the words until the connection until later. I think one thing about including music in the story that you're telling is that music accesses a different part of your brain than words do. And to me, it's often a more like direct route, a more emotional route. And so to include that in your classes is just another way to bring people in. And I'm sure it was another way for your husband to kind of figure out how to approach it. Yeah. How did the family react when you as a family sung that song to them? Oh, everyone was crying. I mean, even though they didn't understand Hebrew, they don't understand Hebrew, but but Shlomo had, before we went, he printed out that psalm, Psalm 30, in Polish. Mm-hmm. And so he, and he was able to show them which verses that we were singing so they could understand the words. So if you can understand the words, and he gave a, an explanation before we sang about it. it, I, it, it I quote his, his, um, his little speech in the book. And um, so they knew that, they knew the emotion behind it and the ideas behind it. And there were about maybe 15 people in that little tiny living room in, in Starry Lipke, tiniest place in the world. And, um, yeah, there was not a dry eye in the, in the room. And afterwards, the, you could just feel the emotion because you're done and then it's quiet. It was really powerful. Wow. So I'd like to get back to the story that's in the book later. But before that, I just wanted to return to this idea that you quit your job to pursue this. And you're talking about how involved of a process that was. But I'm wondering what led up to that decision to quit your job? Had you been thinking of it for a while? What prompted it? What gave you that ability? Because it's very bold to devote your life or th- at least three years of your life to this. Yeah. What was that process like? Uh, well, I joined the family in 1984. So I'm a, a, you know, a latecomer, so to speak, to the life of Sam and Esther um, and this family. But when I joined, I heard their story. Esther didn't like to talk about it very much, but all the kids, everyone knows what happened to her and stuff. And, but Sam talked about his story a lot. And so I got a lot of information about what happened to them. And I was like, this, this just has to be a book. Like, because they weren't, they were very humble. They were very humble, very sweet and kind people. And they didn't um, write memoirs and go, uh, uh, not that, not that it means you're not humble. There are very, a lot of humble people who write memoirs, but they just were never into that sort of going out and talking about what happened to me in the Holocaust, which is too bad, really. But for I think for for the for the for the world, but um, and I felt that way. I felt like their story needs to be part of Holocaust literature and and history, especially because Sam was one of the s- approximately sixty five to survive Treblinka, 
and he was part of the uprising there. And and then after this uprising, he that's where he met Esther hiding in the woods. And then he they hid together for a year until liberation in a pit. And then they got married. So it's this it's this crazy story of death camp survival and uprising and then a hiding in the woods with these righteous Gentiles and then really a love story. They fall in love and decide to get married right after they right after liberation. It's amazing. Um, but I never I knew none of the kids would write it because it's too hard for them. And I I couldn't do it. I was busy with my law practice and raising four children. And but I always knew that it should be a book and somebody had to do it. And maybe that was going to be me someday. But who knows? Maybe I thought maybe one of the grandkids would do it. But I also now after the years went by, I realized that's not happening either. And so I realized after they died, they died um, 21 years ago, Esther and Sam, about 16 years ago. And I thought, oh, this is going to this is going to die with them. This story is going to die with them because even the kids don't have the sorry story straight. And that became super clear to me as I was researching it because they'd say, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Then I would show them what their parents said. And I'm like, well, so it became very clear that the story would, would die with them. And so I still like always thought, you know, I should do this. I should do this. Someone should do this. Who's going to do it? And um, as time went by, I thought I, I thought about it for many years. But then what really what cinched it for me was the death of my own father. Mm-hmm. My dad died five years ago. And. I sort of relived the death of Esther and Sam again with that as not – I suppose that's not too big of a surprise. But what really hit me was my dad had stuff he wanted to do when he retired. And he was going to retire like soon and do these things. And one of them included writing a book about his family history. And that never got done. And I thought if my dad was here or if he could like talk to me from the grave, he would say, this is something you want to do. Don't wait because then you'll be dead. Just do it. And so I did because also my kids were grown up. Three um, three years ago, my youngest daughter, Esther, who's named for her grandmother, um, was like a junior or senior in high school. And and my house was emptying out. And it was those responsibilities were different, not the day-to-day type of responsibilities that you have. And I thought, okay, this is my chance. And I've, I have not looked back. It's been the most fantastic. I loved practicing law. That was great too. But this has been so much fun from every moment, even though like there's certain days where I'm just like Holocaust all day. And um, that was okay. I was, I was really excited about it. So you've been writing it for three years. So what has that involved? Could you maybe paint a picture of what your day would be like? My day. Um, well, there's two, there's two things I can share with you. One is my day would, would always start with exercising. So I would exercise and then have breakfast. And then I would sit down at my computer. And depending on what I was doing, I tried to, in the first year, let's say, it was a lot, it was research heavy, very heavy on the research. So my goal in writing the book and in telling Sam and Esther's story was to contextualize it. I didn't want it just to be I don't want to say just to be because that trivializes it, but I, I didn't want to be just the story as told by them, like they how they would tell it. I wanted it to be within the context of the war in order for people when they read it to really be able to understand 
um, in a in a fuller way what was going on to the Jewish people in Poland. I, I didn't go. It's not a Germany story. It's a Poland story. So it required a lot of research to do that. And so I read tons and tons of secondary history books, first person memoir, second person memoir, lots of work on the computer, finding stuff through. Um, there's Jewish Gen is an amazing tool uh, that, that led me to a number of Yisker books that were helpful. To me, Yisker book is a memorial book put together by, by people who survived from a certain town. So like, like Esther lived in Bialystok. Esther and her family lived in Bialystok for a while during the war. And I found the Bialystok Yisker book translated into English. There's many of them are not translated. So no use to me. But the Bialystok one was translated and I got amazing amount of information about what life was like there at that time. And as well as a couple other ones like that. And so, and then also the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and Yad Vashem, they have a wealth, wealth of resources to try to fill in the holes that I wanted to fill in. What I did was I created this huge timeline. Like, I don't know, it's like a million pages long on my, you know, on the computer. After I finished the timeline, then I went back and I took Esther and Sam's interviews and extracted, copied pieces of the interview and put it into the timeline and made it a different color so that I could see what happened to them when this was all happening at the same time. Like what was going on around them with Nazi Germany, what was going on in Poland, the Soviet Union, da 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 da. And that was like the first big, big project that I did to be able to understand now how am I going to tell the story? And because I really couldn't decide how I was going to tell the story until I had done that because that's how I wanted to tell the story. So that was great. And then... Um, I decided to write a blog in December of 2015. So I took a writing class at the University of Washington right away. I knew I had to – I didn't want this to sound like a legal document, which what it, is what it would have, what would have happened if I just sat down to write it. So I took this great class in creative nonfiction writing at the university. And um, through that, I learned about this idea of a blog. I'm like, oh. I can do that. So I asked my, my, my daughter and my nephew, who both have done blogs, like, help me set up a blog. So they did, and I got it. And it gave me a great opportunity to start sharing my research and sharing Sam and Esther's stories within the context of the research. And that was a really important tool for me. And then when I went to Poland, we went to Poland in June of 2016, my whole family. And that's where we met the, the righteous Christians and saw the towns where they lived in and did the whole the whole trip. Every day I got up at five in the morning and I went quietly out of the room, found a place to work in the hotel where we were and wrote a blog post. And so what that did for me was it created a like almost like a um, historical, for me, a historical and emotional diary of what I was doing. And then when I was ready to write the second half of the book, of course, I went right back to my blogs because I wrote them right in the moment. And I was able to use those blogs as the basis for the second half of the book. So that's what happened. So that's, those are some of, the, some of the things that happened to me. But basically every day I would exercise, sit down and write and research. In the afternoon, sometimes I would walk down to the coffee shop in my neighborhood and read there and, you know, just to get out and go to a different venue. And, um, yeah, that's what I did. So... Another story that I was just blown away by and I'd like you to tell is the story of meeting the cousin, Idu Lise. 
Is that how you pronounce it? Idu Liss. Idu Liss. Yeah. So tell that story of meeting Idu Liss. Okay. It's, it, it is a great story. So it all starts with my blog. Like, and, um, you know, I'm a 57-year-old attorney. I didn't even know what a blog was before. Like I had some vague idea of what a blog was in 2015 when I heard about it. But as soon as I heard about it, I'm smart enough to know that this is a really good tool. And I'm like, that's a great idea. So I started this blog. Uh, and But what happened when I did this blog, I used WordPress, and it's out in the world. And the power of the things that you write on the inter- that go out into the internet world, you just don't know what's going to happen or who's going to find you. I had a number of other stories of crazy people that found me, but this was the best one. One day, I got an email. Um, it was actually, a, so it was from my blog post. Someone had found my blog post because he was searching Bagatella which is the name of the town of where my father-in-law Sam is from, tiny farming village. But he was searching and doing research about Bagatella. And the gentleman who f- found my blog is named Father Rafael Figel, and he is a Polish priest, in, and he was the, Polish, the parish priest of the towns like Bagatella and Wonsovo, these little teeny tiny towns that are right next to each other. That was his parish. And he was doing research about the Jews who lived in that area before the war, because now there are, there are none. And this is a, something that's actually really happening in Poland. The Christians there, the Catholics, are finding themselves wondering, what was this thing, the Jewish community that used to be here, that isn't here anymore? The Jews were 10% of the Polish population, which if you think about in America, the Jews are like maybe, maybe 2%. And we seem to have a, quite an influence here, 10%. That's a big influence. So he was doing this research, and he found my blog. And he wrote me this note saying, I found your blog. I'm doing research. I have all kinds of information about Bagatella, which he shared with me, which was amazing. Um, but you should know that in my research, I found that there is one member of the Goldberg family that lived in Bagatella before the war that survived. He was a six-year-old boy and during the war, and he got somehow separated from his family and, and hid through the whole war in different, with different peasants and different places in the woods. Six years old. Um, but he's alive and lives in Poland. And I, I would be happy to introduce you to his daughters, and you could meet them if you want. I'm like, yeah, amazing. But when it first happened, he said that his name was Lis. He said his name is, is Yusuf Lis. His original name is, is Edu that his parents gave him. Edu is, is, a, is a, um, a nickname for Yehuda. So that's what Edu is, Yehuda. So his name his parents gave him was Yehuda Lis. Um, but when he stayed, decided to stay in Poland, he decided being Jewish wasn't the best plan. So he was baptized and converted to Catholicism and took the name Yosef, which on the one hand is Yosef, so he sort of retained that Jewish thing, but it's a very Catholic very common name in Catholic Poland, Yusuf. So that's what he did. But when we first heard it, this note from the priest, I read it to Shlomo at dinner. I'm like, you're not going to believe what happened. So I read it to him and he was like, wait a minute. He said, my father always talked about his sister, Henya or Anya, who married a man named Lis. But he always said they went to Russia and no one ever heard from them again. And so my, my father-in-law always presumed that they were killed. And um, Shlomo was like, what if this guy's related to my, my Tanta Henya? 
wouldn't that be amazing? So that would be amazing. So we were both like super excited. But then, so he, I, we got in touch with one of the daughters. He has three daughters. One lives in Boston. She's a professor of ethics at Tufts University in Boston, where at the time that this happened, the most Goldberg relatives in, of, of, of Shlomo's family were living in Boston because his sister lives there and a bunch of her kids. Our son was there. Our daughter was there because they were in school. Anyway, we had a phone conversation with her, a Skype conversation with her. And it became clear really quickly that it's not Tante Henia's family, but it was another Goldberg because her grandfather was named – her great-grandfather was named Muttel and her grandmother was named Razel. But so apparently – and this was confirmed both by a cousin of Sam's who survived the war who I've checked with all the time about things. He's still alive. And also this very elderly man, Mr. Zaluski, who lives in, in Bagatella still – and the priest interviewed him, and I interviewed him. We all interviewed him, and he confirmed 100% that there were two Goldberg families in the town. One lived over here, one lived over here, and they were cousins. And um, and so clearly they were cousins. We don't know exactly how close they were, but their names were Goldberg. They were cousins, and Edu's mom, Razel, was born there. And then she married a man named Liss, who was from a town not far away, and probably it was a relation to the list that married Tante Henya because people married people in surrounding towns because that's who they knew. And so then um, Reza and her family lived in a house that was honestly three doors down from where Sam lived. They moved to Bagatella. And so Sam, of course, knew this little boy. He was his cousin who lived next door. So um, we got to meet him at uh, uh, Passover uh, 2017, my family, the Trigger family was in Italy. And so on the way home, Esther, my daughter Esther, who was my, she's been my travel partner for everything, um, went, we went to Poland and we met Edu and we met his daughter, Marta. And um, when we met him, it was really, honestly, one of the most powerful moments of the three years that I had. At first, he was really reserved and quiet. It's kind of like he didn't know what to do. And then Esther, at one point, he was saying how he had no family. And at one point, he, once he realized we really were cousins, he looked at us and he said, what took you so long? And he was like starting to cry. And the, as, imagine a six-year-old boy who got separated from his family and all these years, now he's 80, and he, all these years he's been waiting for his family to come back and find him. And they didn't because they all died. And he felt abandoned, deeply, deeply abandoned. And here we were showing up and saying, we're your family. And then Esther pulled up a picture that she had on her phone from somebody's wedding that had the whole Goldberg family in the picture. And she said, we're, we're all your family. And he just started crying. And then his daughter comes over and they start hugging and crying. And Esther and I are just like, oh, my God, this is happening here. And it was amazing. It was an amazing thing. And so Shlomo got to meet him also personally once he went back to Poland in January of this year of 2018 because he spoke at the Yad Vashem ceremony that um, – honored the Stish family as righteous among the nations. So Shlomo went to that and spoke at it. And 
and Idu Yusuf List came with his daughter, and so they met and they had dinner together, and uh, he got to meet him. So, pretty powerful stuff. So my last question is: What books can you recommend on the subject of the Holocaust, or more specifically, um, memoirs or stories of individuals? Um, so I have a, a bibliography in my book, which has all the books that I read related to writing my writing process and writing the book, um, and they're they're really all of them are great, but. Uh, if I have to pick just a few, which you're what you're asking me to do, I would say that for books that are from a scholarly perspective and um, provide a lot of history as well as a little bit of theology, um, this book called Why? Explaining the Holocaust by Peter Hayes is a book that just came out in 2016. And honestly, it's really one of the best ones that I've read. If, like, if you're going to read, spend, you know, a year reading like I did, fine, then you should read everything. But if you just want one book that, that I found to be the, one of the most amazing ones I read, Why is amazing. Um, in terms of first-person memoir, I also read a ton of first-person memoir from survivors. Um, but I would say ones that not everybody, that's a, a little less familiar to people, which would be I think of interest because a lot of people know, you know, everybody knows Knight, L- Primo Levi. I mean, these are ones that are very, very famous. And Frank, you know, these are the most famous ones. But one that's a couple that are less famous but are amazing. One is called um, Lucky Child, a memoir of surviving Auschwitz as a young boy by Thomas Bergenthal. Um, really remarkable, remarkably done, beautifully done. Um, Another one, I can't remember the author's name, I apologize, but it's called The Seamstress. And it's a, it's a memoir, first-person memoir. And it was so beautiful that at the, after reading it, I actually was listening to it as an audiobook. Um, but after I finished listening to it, I bought the book and gave it to my mom. And she read it, and she liked it so much that she bought it and gave it to her sister. So this is kind of tells you how that it's really, really powerful, powerfully and beautifully done. Um, but then there's this new genre of Holocaust books, Holocaust memoir books that like what I've done, which is not a first-person memoir at all. It's second or third post-Holocaust generation, whether you're related or not related, writing about someone else's story, but then making it your own story, like telling the history of a family or a person in the Holocaust through your own lens, through what happens to you. And a really good example of that is um, a book by Daniel Mendelssohn. He's he's a famous scholar. Um, of, I forget what he's at a fancy school. I forget which one, but he's he's written a lot of really good books. But this he wrote called "The Lost: A Search of a Search for Six Million. I'm not sure that's the exact title, but if you search Daniel Mendelssohn and Lost, you'll find this book, and it's one of the most beautiful ones that I've read, and um, I've now read a lot of them. So. Um, those are three, three or four good examples of different, different types of Holocaust books that I could recommend. But if you look at my bibliography, you'll find all kinds of good ones. Well, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me today. Thank you. This was awesome. The Seattle Limudcast was recorded at Full Track Productions in Seattle, Washington. It was produced by Dave Dintenfass and Tamar Lubicki, with original music by Sergi Feldman.
The song you heard in the middle was written and performed by Shlomo Goldberg. Thanks again to our guest, Karen Trieger. You can find her book, My Soul is Filled with Joy, A Holocaust Story, on Amazon, and it now has an audiobook version.